Hello, Saubona, Molo, Njan, Ashe, how's it? I am Samantha Herbst. And I'm Charlene Armstrong. And as always, we're joined by the very lovely Samantha Steele, renowned parenting journalist and rock star mom. Sam is here to take your hand, whoever you may be listening in, and to guide you in this week's discussion. Sam, hello, welcome. What are we chatting about today? So this seems like a boring topic, Sam, but we're talking about UIF. And you know what? There's a lot more to it than you'd think at first glances. So UIF, or the Unemployment Insurance Fund, is one of the South African government's measures to protect people from unemployment or times without pay. We would not for maternity leave, but for a lot of nannies and domestic workers, it would apply when they are unfortunately retrenched or have something happening that threatens their employment, um, as we saw all too often during lockdown. Yeah, unfortunately, it was the case. Eh? Yeah, it was a really rough, it's been a rough year for a lot of people. I thought this would be quite an easy episode to record. I know a lot of moms on my mommy groups, my mommy WhatsApp groups are always asking about UIF. So I thought, uh, let's let's help help those moms out and dig into this issue. But uh, man, this turned out to be quite a challenging issue. There's quite a lot to UIF. And I also found out that there are some agencies out there that aim to scam and rip off some moms who are trying to do the right thing. Oh, so many stories like that. It's actually pretty scary. Yeah. Horrible. It's terrifying. It really is terrifying, especially when you're trying to do the right thing. Also, I really struggled to find nannies who are actually registered on UIF. So I have, we've got one interview with a nanny who's not, in the, who's not on the service, but wishes she was. And um, as, as I said earlier, as you saw during lockdown, it's so crucial to have the safety net for this family member um, in case things are out of control, then you can't do right by them. So you spoke to a few experts and we will be guiding our listeners in sort of how to go about registering for UIF. But at, at the same time, we're, we're looking to, to figure out why and if it's still viable for us. I want to include a soundbite here from a nanny that you spoke to, Sam, who has not been so lucky for various reasons. And I think she is the why, why we're doing this episode, why we're looking into this, because it's so important for us as the team of the Nanny Diaries to be servicing people like Kundai Munyoro. Hold fast. Uh, this is Kundai's story. My name is Kundai Munyoro. I came from Zimbabwe. I am a nanny in Johannesburg. I worked there now for three years, but I'm not on UIF at the moment because I don't have permit, the papers for working, but my employers now have just made a plan to save my money separate to my salary. And that makes me feel happy, but I need to learn more about UIF and I'll be glad to know more about it. But they are making a plan to register me. So I think I'll be happy to know more about it so that I will get something later when I retire, if I know more about it. I mean, it's one thing for us as moms to be familiar with UIF when we, you know, go on maternity leave and, and we need kind of to, to buffer the salary that we already have or might be getting. But we come from a privileged position. I was just going to say, I mean, we've got computers, we've got access to these things. It is, we've got access to all of this and we battle. 
So this is something that that we really need to kind of sort out for the listeners out there so that we can start to service these nannies more. Sam, you gleaned some ground rules, some basic understanding of the vocabulary around UIF and what, what we have going forward. That is, firstly, legally nannies and domestic workers are considered the same thing. To us, it's like, okay, a domestic worker is someone who helps you in your house and a nanny is someone who looks after your child. But in in legal terms, it's it's not always like that, right? Yes, so legally, nannies and domestic workers and gardeners are all considered domestic workers. That's the category they they like put under by the government. We know when looking for a nanny or when working with a nanny that the experience and the job is a very it's a very different thing to what's required from a domestic worker. But purely from a legal basis, yes, nannies, domestic workers and gardeners are all considered this in the same category. As we know, I mean we can we could have said it before you 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 know went on this mission, which you thought would be easy, and then obviously not. You kind of screwed yourself that way. You're tempting fate. Obviously <laughs> it's gonna be more complicated than what you realized. We already know that UIF is a frustrating process to navigate and, and Honestly, if you have the means, outsourcing it can be the best route forward to ensure that you do comply, which a lot of moms do, even though this is an, a contentious issue, which we're not going to get into right now. But at the end of the day, I think what I could glean from what you've told me is that we do need to know the ins and outs of the Employment Act and the Unemployment Act. It doesn't make for the most riveting reading, especially if you're a busy mom and you have your own job to navigate and then, I mean, UAF is but just a, a small part of what we need to do when it comes to our formal, uh, you know, employment contract with our, our nanny. You need to guide this person daily. You need to, to live with her in your home. You need to be handing over your child. There's so much to juggle. UIF yes. is really not something I want to mess around with. It's just... Well, I think also like Sam, I think part of it's, I think it's part of almost a bigger mind shift Mm. where you need to think about yourself as an employer and you, you, there's certain rights you owe your employee, same as you are owed at your, at your office or in your place of employment. And we've got some great interviews that, that speak to this, that yeah, there's, there's a lot of ins and outs around it and lots of, there's all lots of legalities around it as well. And unfortunately it is a, it is an administrative its own special administrative hell, let me say, where it's very challenging to do, unfortunately, and it's it's the right thing to do, but that doesn't mean it's it's an easy thing to do. Well, in that administrative hell, I think a lot of I'm just going to speak on behalf of people, make make some assumptions here. I think a lot of people are going to be asking themselves, why even bother with UIF if it is such, excuse my language, an administrative ball ache. <laughs> right. I mean, it, it's pretty much a flawed system. It's a hassle to register. You're not guaranteed a payout. Why not just independently take care of your nanny and safeguard you both that way and not even bother with the hassle? I mean, look, I hear what you're saying, and UIF is only 2% of the salary that you're putting away each month. But there's actually so much more to it than that. I gleaned some great insights from two amazing women working for nonprofits in the area, Amy Teke and Kelebukhili Kunao. So first off, Amy is the co-founder of Easeware, which was formed two and a half years ago, initially just out of conversations with domestic workers battling with issues at work, uh, being paid less than the minimum wage, which is not much, expected to work ridiculous hours, and and she kind of saw a need for for more than a WhatsApp group around the topic. 
and this developed into Easeware, which is now offers advice around domestic working employment, helps parents navigate what's often a very informal industry. I mean, essentially, I know most moms just ask other moms what they're doing. Mm. There's no central database to say, this is the pay scale, this is what you owe your employee, like lunch breaks and UIF. And so she's trying to to make a place where we can get that kind of information. I mean, this needs to be unionized, and that's kind of what she's doing. I, I wouldn't say union unionization exactly, but I think but it's the benefits just, of what union unionization would bring, I suppose, is what I'm saying. Not an official union, but but sort of like that, sort of giving the same benefits to nannies to kind of formalize that that industry. Yeah, and I think it's it's like an almost like an information database where like. You're not just asking on your WhatsApp group what your circle of friends is paying their nannies. It's more like, okay, across half ten, this is what what the standard is. And that kind of I think a lot of people don't don't want to do wrong by their nannies. They want to do the right thing. But they also need to look out for their own interests. And that's where knowing what the norm is becomes really helpful. And having that documented somewhere and formalized somewhere becomes a really helpful thing. I was just going to say, if you have the information at hand as a mom, before you decide whether you're going to employ someone and you understand the guidelines and the parameters and the minimum required wages, you can see whether it suits your budget. You're not just thumb sucking. Um, maybe we can spare like seven grand a month for a nanny. And this is what her duties would entail. You know, if you have a clear guideline, yeah. if there's something written down, then at least you can make informed decisions. Yeah, so there's guidelines for employers, but also is when negotiates with with their employers, you know, on behalf of the nannies, or if it comes to it, they go to the CCMA or Department of Labor. Hopefully, it doesn't come to that. And in addition, they do advocacy work and they support their members who want to kind of start up small businesses and to develop other income streams. Because let's be honest, our nannies aren't earning, you know, the same livable income that we do. And that we're able to. So there's a lot of upskilling that happens around that, which I love. You know, we at The Great Equalizer love, you know, these kind of initiatives. And it's a, it's a great resource for nannies and and employers alike. Um, so Sam, Amy mentioned that this kind of formalization of the industry is important, right? Yes, it is. And I think that what, what employers don't realize is that often their they actions have consequences beyond their own relationship like not having pay slips and not having UAF has an impact bigger than like three months of unemployment, for example, um, on, on a nanny trying to set up a business, for example. So let's hear from Amy. She chats here about the culture of formalized employment of domestic workers, which again, let's remind ourselves, domestic workers include nannies, house helpers and gardeners, anyone that earns a living from working in your house. Here is Amy Tekia from Izwe. Culturally, there's not a culture of formalizing the arrangement. When I first moved to South Africa and we hired someone part-time, there wasn't nobody I knew had contracts. It wasn't kind of a formal thing. You just ask your friends what they do and then you, you know, base your wages on that and 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 maybe your process. But there isn't a culture of, oh, I'm an employer now, therefore I better go and find out what my liabilities are as an employer, which you would do if you had a business. And you hired someone, you'd be like, oh, I better register them for UIF. Now that I'm an employer, I have to know the labor laws. And so domestic employers don't think of themselves as employers, but we all of us are. And we are liable for knowing the labor laws. So to say, oh, shame, I didn't know that I can't deduct that from her salary. 
really isn't an excuse because the information is quite easily available, but people just don't know it and don't make the effort. Sam, you mentioned a second amazing lady with her finger on the UIF pulse here, socioeconomic rights researcher Kelebukhile Kuno. Yes, so Kelebukhile is a researcher at an institute called SERI, the Socioeconomic Rights Institute, and she's done pretty extensive work on the working conditions of domestic workers. In fact, ISWI and SERI often work together for the betterment of these conditions, and Kelebukhile could not only corroborate most of what Amy said, she also had quite a lot to add herself. The arrangement between a domestic worker and an, an employer is not thought of as an employment relationship. I think in, in the minds of many people, you are asking your domestic worker to come into your house to clean or look after your baby, and you're compensating them for that. Um, but it's seen as, you know, you're doing them a favor and they're doing you a favor. When in actual truth, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's, an, it's an employment relationship. That, is, that has a legal framework that underpins it. And therefore, many employers do not realize that they have certain responsibilities and obligations under the law towards their domestic workers in the same way that their domestic workers also have certain obligations. I think both parties have rights and obligations under the law, but in general, you know, this is not the viewpoint held by, by many people. Well, I believe we're going to get to what those obligations are for each party. But it's obvious then that many South African households need to actually get a kick up the backside when it comes to their domestic help, not so? Well, yeah, I'm formalizing all of it exactly. Just like you go to a place of work, you expect your PAYE to be sorted, your benefits to be appropriately managed, and at the very least for your UIF to be paid – you to employ someone and need to adopt a similar mindset for your employees, right? Well, exactly. I mean, COVID's really pushed to the fore why we need systems like UIF in place and why employers must do the right thing and, and make sure their employees are on there. For sure. It wasn't too long ago that we were all put into level five lockdown, businesses shut down, and so many people couldn't, you know, so many businesses couldn't run, couldn't pay their employees, and that's when the, all the terse payouts happened. But I suppose if and when UIF pays out, Sam, it pays out first to the people, obviously, who abide by the law and have been maintaining their payments over a few months prior to that business actually shutting down or being unable to pay. And unfortunately, according to Amy and Kedebukhide, this number is few and far between. I asked the pair about this and honestly, the answers were a little bit disheartening. The first voice you'll hear is Amy's and then Kelly Bukhila jumps in from her experience working at Siri. We did a survey um, about two weeks after lockdown began in April and we surveyed about 600 domestic workers and 79% of them were not registered for UIF and another 10% did not know if they were registered for UIF which means most likely they weren't. So it's now I have to say a lot of those were migrant workers. Some of them were undocumented, so they weren't eligible. But generally, that is this experience of South African workers as well, that they're just there. It's because it's informal that never gets around to it. And we have so many workers who came and told us, you know, I've been asking my employer for years to register for UIF, me for UIF. And she always says, yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to. And all of a sudden now the pandemic hit it was too late to do a new registration. They closed new registrations and the, the COVID-19 payments that were going out for people who were on unpaid leave 
which was many domestic workers who weren't living in, who the employers didn't want them coming and going because of COVID, all of a sudden couldn't get those payments. So the numbers vary quite widely in what's reported, but actual actual estimates are probably that easily 70% of, of domestic workers are not, are not registered. It impacts other things as well. I mean, we had a this wonderful woman, Tamankosi, who came to us this week and is working um, and has a, a very stable job and runs a business on the side. And she got a huge order for her business. And she went to take out, a, she needed a 5,000 rand loan to be able to respond to the order. Um, and she wasn't able to get it because her employer hadn't registered for UIF. So the bank said, you know, if you, you're making enough that we can give you the loan, but you're not UIF registered, so we can't verify it. So those are the things as an employer, you're not thinking about that. And you're not mm-hmm. thinking about the fact that, you know, your domestic worker is, is struggling to rent a place because she doesn't have a pay slip or sometimes even to send money to somebody because she doesn't have a pay slip. And we have people who've asked for pay slips and their employers are like, why do you need a pay slip? You know, and you actually don't, don't have the right to ask. It's their right to have a pay slip for whatever reason. But these things like UIF registration pay slip are really critical. And if you think about how often in our own lives we have to kind of show a payslip to buy, to get a phone contract or whatever it is. And UIF registration also allows the government to understand how many domestic workers are out there and oh. to communicate with them and to communicate with their employers. Because it's a big challenge right now. You can't, there's no way other than just mass public communication, there's no way to communicate directly with domestic employers because most of them are not registered. There's no, there's no ledger of who's a domestic worker and and who's employing a domestic worker. I mean, if I could also just add to to this conversation. So there was a study that was done some years ago by an organization called WIGO, which stands for Women in Employment, Globalizing and Organizing, in collaboration with the Social Law Project at the University of Western Cape. And they found that only about 20% of domestic workers were actually registered for UIF. And I think why UIF is particularly important to um, an occupational group such as domestic workers is that, you know, other occupations, I can use myself as an example, I'm registered for UIF and I'm able, my, my employer has taken that responsibility. It's not even something that I even think about. My employer has taken that responsibility. But also the kind of work that I do allows me to be able to actually save. It, the, the opportunity for me to have savings is there. But when you look at a low income group such as domestic workers, not many domestic workers are actually about uh, able to, to save their, their monthly income. Um, when you look at even just what the national minimum wage is, and when you look at on average how, how much domestic workers are paid, it's very rare to find a domestic worker who's actually able to say after paying for all of my expenses at the end of the month, I am able to put a certain amount away. And so in light of this, this reality that without savings, when a domestic worker finds themselves unemployed, they really are in a desperate situation. And that the few thousand rands or however, how much, however much what would come out from their UIF claim actually goes a very long way in the context of a, a group of people who are not earning enough as it is. And so, you know, UIF, I think UIF is, is something that all workers could use a social protection that helps them should they find themselves unemployed. But it's even more important for certain groups such as domestic workers where, you know, 
the, the, the likelihood that they're able to save is, is so low that actually this, this money that they're able to get to claim during a time of unemployment really goes far. Um, and I think that's something that employers also need to think about is, is that context. So like, what are the barriers for parents? I mean, why are so few domestic workers actually registered? I mean, it is admin, right? So I think now they're accepting new applications on you filing to register online. I'm not sure my understanding, I'm not an expert on UIF from the employer side, but my understanding is that that until recently, you had to go to the UIF offices in order to register. So it was kind of one of those things where you have to get paperwork and go to government office and and it's a pain, you know, and maybe it's going to take half a day of your time. And and so it's it's a pain and it's not prioritized, whereas filing your taxes is a pain, but you know that you have to do it. Otherwise, you're going to there's going to be consequences. And so you you make the effort, whereas with UIF, people don't feel the consequences personally. It's their it's their worker that's feeling the consequences, but they're not going to feel the consequences and nobody's going to hold them accountable. So they don't do the research in how do I do it? What do I need to do? How do I make it happen? And it just kind of sits on a to-do list or it doesn't if they don't if they don't even think it's important. Wow. I mean, I think that's a good point is that is the thinking it's important part of it, that, that this is a compulsory thing. It's not a, like a nice to do extra thing. It is required by law. And we see... You know, it's we've been talking about how critical it is for the worker. But if you're if you're a humane employer, you know, you want the best for your domestic worker. It also protects you. I mean, I had someone who never registered her employer for UIF because she thought, oh, it's going to be, you know, she's going to stay with us forever. If she does, then, you know, if if we do have to dismiss her, we'll just give her a lump sum. It'll be fine. And then suddenly they were in a certain financial situation and they had to move and they had to let her go. And they didn't have as much to, to give her as they would have hoped. And she thought, man, all these years, if we'd been paying UIF, she would be able to claim from the government for however long. And I mean, the same situation under TERFs. All of a sudden, people who couldn't continue to have their domestic workers coming, but wanted to still pay them because they rightly didn't want them to be on the streets or unable to feed their children, which so many were. It was like, wow, if I'd registered my domestic worker for UIF, I could be claiming these thousands of rands back from the government. And now I'm just having to give them out. And the same thing for maternity leave. So it also protects you as an employer that you don't have to pay out for these social situations because there's social protections in place. Okay, so what if you're a nanny who's listening now and your employer just refuses to register you for UIF? Well, this is where things get a bit tricky because so nannies have got the right to report the employer to the Department of Labor. But that's also challenging in its own way. And as Amy and Kelly Bukhile suggest in the interview, it's much easier said than done. And uh, consequences can be long to roll, long time to roll out. But employers do need to realize that there is potential consequences for not registering their employers on UIA. So yeah, it's a quite a tricky landscape, as Amy and Kelly Bukhile say, for, for employees if they do need to, to go to the labor courts Let's hear it from them to, to find out how to go about it and how to navigate this tricky landscape. Domestic workers are in a very uncomfortable space because no matter what they do, if they ever stand up for their rights, there's always this threat of dismissal or displeasure looming over their heads. It's not like other companies where there's layers of management and there's an HR office and there's this office. So 
you know, you don't have to report everything to your direct boss. Or if your direct boss doesn't like you, there's other people that you can kind of work with and negotiate with. In this case, it's only the employer. So in so many cases where they're working ridiculous hours, they're not getting um, fair pay, they're not being allowed leave that they're owed, etc. Especially now under COVID, there's people who haven't left their employer's house since, you know, since March. And, and there's things that are illegal, but they're too afraid to say anything because they think their employer might just dismiss them, even though that dismissal would still be illegal. Once it's happened, it's difficult to reverse it. But the right thing to do would be to report it to the Department of Labor and have then the Department of Labor call the employer and say, we need you to register for UIF. We also have employers who have told their domestic worker that they're registered for UIF and deducted the money from their payslip and never actually registered them or sent them sent the money to UIF, which is obviously wow. fraud. That is um, but it's just shocking. Yeah. I mean, to go to all the effort to deduct 1% from the salary is just insane. Yeah. It's, I, I mean, it, it, it's, it's absolutely shocking, and I, but it, it actually happens. Yeah. I think just even just to add, I think it's very important to, to know, for employers to know that if you're not registering your, your domestic worker for UIF and you're not keeping up with the monthly payments, you are acting unlawfully. Yeah. And I know that many employers, like they, they know that, you know what, I'll probably get away with it. But actually, like I want to drive home the point that, you know, there, there are sometimes are consequences and there can be consequences for, for not um, registering your, your domestic work for UIF, even though, you know, it's widely held widely believe that you know there are no consequences or they won't be held accountable so what was the bottom line with these two sam with amy and what were the key takeaways for the nannies who need to be covered and for the employers who need to abide by the law well easily and seri the two institutions that amy and kelebukhile respectively work for are busy compiling a guide for domestic employment in south africa so this should go a long way to demystifying the process and it should collate a lot of the need to know info in terms of the rights of each party. Ah, that's useful. Okay, so FAQs and the like, this should include what employers need to put in a contract, what needs to be done according to the letter of the law, basically, thing, things like that. Exactly right, Sam. The document should be freely available online in the very near future. I did ask them, though, what points they want to drive home if listeners are going to take anything away from our conversation. And this is what they said. I would say formalize and communicate. I mean, I was in a situation with our nanny, who is an amazing person, and we're still really close. But there was a situation a few years ago where it was a switch from part-time to full-time. And there was all sorts of miscommunication and not understanding each other to the point that we almost went our separate ways. And luckily, we managed to get through it. And then she continued to work for us for several years. And... It was very positive. But at that point, we didn't have a contract. That was obviously before I was doing this work, but we didn't have a contract. And if we'd had a contract then, which I thought, oh, she's so happy. I'm so happy. It's not a priority because we understand each other. And I think a lot of people feel that way. But then suddenly you come across something and you think, oh, if we'd had this on paper, it would have just clarified the situation. And so the that extends to UIF and it extends to payslips. So things that you don't think you need until you need them. And secondly, putting those things in place 
ultimately, it's like when we everyone stopped using a, straws. It's not about just your straw. It's about everybody's straws. And so if everybody, if you and your friend and your parents and your coworkers all start formalizing the relationship with their domestic workers, it's going to m- make a big difference and start to create the shift in the respect and treatment of domestic workers in our society. And for employers, I mean, do you have any any key takeaways that you want them to really remember from our conversation today? So employers need to recognize that they have obligations under the law towards their domestic workers as employers. But I think one other thing that that employers should take away from this conversation is also to realize that they have rights. And I know that there are many employers who do, you know, all of the, the, the communication issues that Amy was describing can sometimes lead to employers feeling uncomfortable about certain situations or they're actually having a very negative experience with, with their domestic worker. And I think that recognizing that you not only have obligations, but that actually the, the laws that are there are also there to protect employers as well. You know, so for, for as much as, you know, a, an employer is obligated to give, you know, notice should they want to retrench their domestic worker, for example, the domestic worker also has certain obligations towards their employer. And so if on both sides, and and, and this has to be something that's led by the employer, you take into your home environment, your household, which is actually someone else's workplace, the understanding that although this is my personal private household, um, the fact that I'm employing someone here means that laws apply here, that there are regulations. When you introduce that into your household and and the way that you interact with your domestic worker, it it benefits both. It definitely is something that benefits both the domestic worker and the employer to abide by the law. Sometimes it's seen by employers that actually the law is there for just the domestic workers, but actually there's so much there in the Labor Relations Act, in sectoral determination, seven for domestic workers, that, that actually is there to look out for employers as well. Yeah, so it's a lot to take in, but I mean, it's very obvious to me why it's important for us to start formalizing our relationships with our nannies and domestic workers or those who help around the house. So the most logical route forward now, and I suppose the big question is how, right? How do we do this? If you've never done this before, if you've never hired someone, you have no idea what is required of you in terms of the law and where, where to begin. So what do you do? Well, here's where it gets tricky because I really struggle to find a mom who has successfully registered her nanny. The rates are dismal, as we saw earlier, but often employers want to do the right things. But it's one thing to want to do it, and it's another thing to actually do it and not get taken advantage of in the process. So this is why, listeners, there will be a part two to this Nanny Diaries episode. While part one covered why it's important to be registering your your nanny for UIF. Part two will cover the ins and outs of how to go about registering your nanny and how to ensure that you are legally covered. There's just so much information here that we thought perhaps it is best for listeners to digest the why part first before we uh, delved into the how. So please tune into episode three of The Nanny Diaries for a play-by-play of how you can ensure that your pretty little behind is covered. Listeners, if you have any comments or queries on our episode or a UIF story of your own, please feel free to touch base with us at info at 
And if you liked this episode and you found it useful for yourself or any other moms, please feel free to rate and review us on your preferred listening platform. And also remember to please share to your social networks. So that's it for this installment of The Nanny Diaries. Sam, Charlene, thank you for the discussion. Thanks for joining. Tune in next week, everybody, for more on registering with the UIF. For more on today's show or for additional information on our expert guests, please head on over to our website at www.thegreatequalizer.co.za or catch up with The Great Equalizer podcast on Instagram, Facebook or Twitter. If you'd like to get in touch with Samantha Steele and the TGE gang, email us at info at and we'll get back to you.